Last week on the Fox News website, Max Lucado wrote a piece for their internet um, website, and, and he started his article with these words. Recent racially charged incidents, including the tragic death of George Floyd, have stirred ensuing riots and torn open the rawest of wounds, racism. Judging a person according to skin color is an ancient sin. And for that reason, God gave us an ancient solution. And that solution begins in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Now, most of us are pretty familiar with the creation narrative as we read in, in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, God begins by bringing order to the chaos that the world initially was in. The first three days, God separates different elements of creation and then the following days, he creates different things to put in those different spaces. What, what is perhaps most striking, much like we talked last week about Pentecost and the Spirit, I, I'm not necessarily as overwhelmed by the power, but what strikes me is the process of how God brings these things into place. And in this particular case, the way God accomplished this was with his word. With his spoken word, he speaks things into being, and with his words, things happen. Let me just kind of quickly skim through Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness hovered, it covered the, the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. Verse 6, And then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens above and the waters of the earth below. And that is what happened. Verse 9, And then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so that dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. And then God created uh, vegetation, and he spoke it, and that is what happened. In verse 14, let lights appear in the sky to separate day from night, and that is what happened. And over and over we read, and we get into this rhythm of God speaking something, and then it happened. And that continues until we get to verse 26. And then the rhythm and this clickety-clack of the train tracks or, 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 or the uh, pavement uh, uh, on our tires kind of comes to a jarring halt. Because in verse 26, God says, Let us make human beings, humankind, in our image, to be like us, in our image and likeness. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them, and then he blessed them. I think the, the reason the, the, the text comes to an abrupt halt is because God wants to highlight the, this crowning moment of, of creation in a significant and stark way. There is no other creature on earth or no other creation in God's creation that is made in the image and likeness of God himself. 
You know, it's interesting that these words, image and likeness, will appear later on in the Old Testament, and they are the very words used to refer to statues or, or figurines. And you might remember that one of God's commands was, you shall make no image of God. You shall make no idol that looks like God. And one of the reasons was not only because God didn't want humankind to worship those figurines and those statues, but God had already placed his image on earth in the shape and the form of the man and the woman and all of humankind. And it, and it suggests that the divine community, as they were united as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, decided to make representatives of themselves on this earth to be his agents and ambassadors. And, and humans are to be faithful God uh, images or, or image bearers of God here on this earth. And, and in order to do that, it requires us to be men and women. And it requires us to be individuals of different ethnicities and colors. It requires us to have all of the variety of skin color and language ability and hairstyles and all of our body shapes. All of us together make up this image of God on earth. What is it that makes us human? It's not that we look a certain way. It's not that we have the right size or the right shape or, or that we have a certain uh, a IQ level or, or a physical ability or a linguistic ability or that we've achieved a certain educational or intellectual standard. It's not that some of us draw better or, or, or sing better um, or, or, or dance better. Those are not the specific things that make us human. What makes us human is that we have been created in the image of God. All of us, every single human. That's what makes us special. Every single baby born in all of humankind, in all of human history, was born as a image bearer of God. And in that sense, we are all created equal. No one has more of God's image, and no one has less of God's image. Now what strikes me is that we were united with God in the beginning when he made creation. And scriptures indicate that when we get past this life and move into heaven, we will be united again with all races, tribes, nations, and tongues. The problem is in between, on earth. And you'll remember Jesus' prayer that, uh, that, that the things in heaven, God's will in heaven, should be done on earth. And tragically, on earth is where we have failed. We have failed God, and we have failed one another. Too many people were quick to decide and determine that some people were more God's image, and others were less human. And unfortunately, they even use the Bible to justify those ideas and those false interpretations. The, uh, you, you might remember uh, Cain was killed, uh, ki killed his brother, and in order to save him, uh, uh, God put a mark on him, and then people began saying, well, the mark of Cain was that he was black. 
and that's why he was socially distanced and marginalized. Later on in chapter 9 of Genesis, uh, uh, Noah's son Ham uh, committed sin, and, and so individuals rereading the Old Testament determined that it was because uh, he was black, and that was his sin to be enslaved, and that gave them justice, and that gave them a justification for that kind of treatment. Just recently, in June of 2018, a large Southern religious convention renounced the doctrine of the curse of Ham as justification for racism. They drew up a resolution, and in that resolution, they admitted and openly confessed that, quote, Many of the churches in our convention openly endorse the false teaching of the so-called Curse of Ham narrative, which errantly construed Genesis 9 to say that God ordained the descendants of Ham to be marked with dark skin and to be relegated to a subordinate status based on race. They also state that this doctrine has been used to enslave and continues to be used in 2018, Continue, continues to be used by white supremacists as a cloak to invoke God's holy name in unholy acts of demeaning, dishonoring, and dehumanizing certain people who bear his image. Unfortunately, my friends and brothers and sisters, Christian people have been involved in creating some of the mess that we're living in. Now, you and I didn't create this. We were born into a world where this was already in place. None of us invented racism uh, or created this world order where some people are marginalized, oppressed, mistreated, and treated unfairly because of the color of their skin. But we were born into it, and we have, as God's people, a responsibility to make sure God's will in heaven be accomplished here on earth. And so part of that means going beyond being non-racist. I read a book this week uh, uh, by Ibram X. Kendi. And the title of the book drew me in because the title is How to Be an Anti-Racist. And what he suggests is that it's one thing for us to be non-racist. And I think most of us would fit in that category. We're not individuals who go out of our way to demean and to imprison or to deliberately, intentionally mistreat people of different colors or different ethnicities or people that are different than us. And if there are people within our audience that do those things, then please know that we consider in Scripture and God and, and Christian community as a whole, consider those things despicable and, and not part of who we should be. Racial slurs and actions. But, but in order to change our world, I think we have to go beyond being non-racist, just being calm, not rocking the boat, living and let live. And, and because each of us live in a world where there are what is referred to as microaggressions. And in order for our world to change, we need to become anti 
racists. And so that means we don't allow racism to grow or to take hold within our circle of influence. When someone makes a racist joke or, or acts in a way that insults another people, then we would say, no, that doesn't work for me. I, I can't stand by and I just can't keep quiet. Non-racists don't say anything. Anti-racists don't stay quiet. Kendi suggests that we should begin looking at racism as a disease, as a stage four cancer. Now, if you were to get the diagnosis that you had stage four cancer, what would you do? Once we, came, we got over the hurt and, and the shock of a diagnosis so horrible, we would begin searching all of the resources possible to say, okay, what does this look like? What does this mean? Let me become informed and self-aware. I want to know what's living in my body. And then I want to know what is the treatment plan, and I am going to go at it aggressively. If it requires surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, I want to do whatever it takes to rid my body of this particular cancer. Racism is a disease that thrives on ignorance. And one of the ways we become anti-racist is by informing ourselves. I read something a friend of mine, a dear friend who's been a friend for years and years and years wrote, and he said he grew up in the South, in Alabama, and for years he never even thought about it. And now, because of everything that's happening, he began to take a hard look at his own life. He read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letters from a Birmingham jail for the first time this last week. He has begin, begun reading other works by African-American authors to try and inform himself of what has happened all around him in this world. And in much like we would begin this process of trying to educate ourselves, he is now educating himself. And he says, I've been schooled because now I'm learning what so many people have known for so many years. We can't control what happens elsewhere. We can control what happens in our circle of influence. What happens in our family, what happens among our friends, what happens on our Facebook posts. God's words matter. They spoke the world into existence. They proclaim all humankind, all human beings are created in the image of God and they are created equal. And that means we have to take his word seriously. And that means our words matter. What we say, but also what we don't say. And so I encourage you as we begin opening up in our society as we begin uh, lowering the barriers of restrictions and uh, social distancing, as you have opportunity to interact with uh, our community, our diverse community here in Miami, please don't stay silent. If someone says something offensive in your presence, don't just let it slide. Don't let it take heart. Don't let it grow in your world. 
because racism is a disease and only by taking deliberate intentional action educated self-informed and self-aware where we can begin this process to create the world God wanted from the very beginning may God bless your day and God bless our country thank you